0: Hi everyone, we are on a very special but actually an incredibly important version of On Point uh, this week. I am joined by Samira and Massa from our New Zealand Iranian community to talk about the the horrors, as I would like to describe it, um, unfolding in Iran uh, at the moment. So Massa and Samira, welcome on board. It's great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. And we're very, very grateful for you to give us this opportunity.
0: Oh, look, you, it's Simon. something I follow really uh, closely. I can't follow every, if you will, human rights issue in the world, uh, but what's happening uh, in Persia or in Iran is is very much front and centre. So we haven't had much coverage or as much coverage as I think in New Zealand. So talk us through what's happening. For people who aren't too familiar, talk us through what's happening in Iran. How are we in the situation at the moment? And as I say, yeah, what's happening?
1: Simon, just to give it a bit of a background, uh, this is not a new... Issue what's going on in Iran at the moment. It's been happening for the past forty years, and that's pretty much before Massa and I were born. And this is about oppression that is happening in Iran. This is about human rights uh, violations that's been going on in Iran for forty years. As you know, the revolution happened forty years ago, and once the previous leader uh, Khomeini came into power, he made hijab a mandatory. He made hijab mandatory for women. So you had to wear hijab. You didn't have a choice. That choice was taken away from you completely. And then he made it a criminal offence not to wear hijab. So he went a step further. But what's happened in the past 14 days is that, just adding to that, in 2020, I was reading about it today, the current Iran's government leader, Ali Khamenei, was quoted for saying that improperly veiled women should be made to feel unsafe. This is coming from a leader of the country. Women should be made feel unsafe because they're not wearing proper hijab. That's coming from our leader. And we have been seeing this type of oppression for the past many, many, many years. And I went to high school in Iran for four years because it was a very religious high school because I wanted to get into law in Iran. And for four years, I was forced to wear chador which is the most egregious way of wearing hijab, if you ask me. And God knows how many times I had a fall when I was trying to get into a bus because I was little, I was tiny, the charter was too long, it was impossible to keep it on. And as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, that's how I had to operate in order to be able to go to that school.
0: So, Just to jump jump in there because some Kiwis – We'll use the terms interchangeably. You're talking about talk us through what a hijab is, what a chador is. Others will be familiar in New Zealand with the term burqa. They, they are all slightly different. Would one of you just yeah, just talk us through the difference?
2: Go ahead, Matha. So um so um yes, they are different. So burqa is when um the face is covered and only eyes are visible. Um so um you would typically see that in Arab states maybe some parts of Iran where there's Iranian Arabs live, but that's historically, that's where you would see that. And also in Afghanistan, often you would see that. Um, hijab um, refers to w- Muslim women having to cover their hair yeah. and their body and only show their hands, their feet and their face. So, the and Chador, which Sami um, referred to, is a black veil which covers from the head to toe basically, and it's quite long and um, it it is a bit of a health and safety risk for little girls um, so so in Iran women most women would cover their hair with a veil or a scarf, um, which is just covering their hair, but it's worn loosely because that's not part of the Iranian culture to have to wear hijab. Some women do some women. Um, have got those views and those beliefs and they do but majority are wearing it because they have to and to go back to what has happened in the last 14 days is on the 13th of September a young Kurdish Iranian woman called Masa Amini she was 22 years old she was on a trip on a holiday with her brother in Tehran and she got uh, um, arrested by the morality police Not that anything that they do is morally correct, (laughs) but um, she was um, arrested for not properly covering her hair, so having a bit of her fringe showing. She was taken into custody, and then um, within a few hours, she was in a coma, and she died at the hospital three days later. And um, the Iranian regime denies any wrongdoing they've come out and said she had she died of a heart attack but the images are showing that you know there was bleed, blood coming out of her ears in the hospital there's definitely um some she got hurt in her head basically and the woman that went to the hospital who was a journalist and um, took the photos and distributed them uh, all around social media is also has also been arrested and nobody knows where she is now so basically that created this unrest in Iran because this was not a political activist. She's, she. There was no demonstration. She was not doing anything wrong against the regime. She was just a woman walking on the streets and, you know, to be arrested and be told that, oh, we're going to talk to her for an hour and show her the correct way of doing her job. That's what they told, to, told her brother before they took her. And then an hour later, she's in a coma. So that's been the driver of, you know, Women saying enough is enough. It could be anybody's mother, sister, daughter that goes out and never comes home again.
0: Oh, as I said at the start, I just find it absolutely horrendous. As you say, a 22-year-old, and all of us can think of, I think of my uh, stepdaughter who's just a couple of years younger, but you think these are young, uh, a young woman, as you say, on the street and killed, murdered, if I could go that uh, far by the morality. Absolutely. Uh, police, which is only just one arm, of course, of the Iranian uh, regime, but it's clearly ignited uh, enormous amounts of of protest. I've seen images of everything from hijabs being uh, burned, women cutting their hair. But importantly, and please, uh, I'd love you both to elaborate. There's only limited information coming out here. We're seeing widespread protest of Iranians of all ages, genders, you name it. it it's becoming quite a, a is quite a large wide movement. So what is actually happening in Iran, as best as you know?
1: It is actually becoming quite wide. And I think this is probably the first time, Massa can correct me if I'm wrong, but we because we have had movements every decade for the past 30 years. And the recent one was in 2019. But I think the protests that are currently happening, actually growing despite the violent crackdowns on them. And There is no sign, in my view, of showing that the protests are going to decrease or it's going to change because I can see amongst high school students, the students who are 13 and 14, now they're joining the protests. And I was reading an article about it from a woman who used to be a professor back home in Iran And she said something quite interesting. And I think it's about the current generation we have in Iran and the generation who's keeping the protests going. To my embarrassment, you know, I was not as brave as this current generation because I used to be quite political. I used to arrange for protests. We used to get arrested regularly. But at some point, I was so scared that I just gave up because I didn't want to be put in that situation anymore. And, of course, I left Iran in 2010. But it's really interesting that the generation, they're born after 2000. We were born in 1984, 1985. So this current generation that we see at the moment in Iran, a 14-year-old who brings down the photo of uh, the supreme leader and with her uh, hijab off or going to the street protesting, This is a generation who were born into resistance. And this was the article. I really related to this article. These are the young people who are building on decades worth of work for the past 30 years. But they have the courage because since they were born, they've heard about how hijab works as a form of oppression on them. And they were looking for a reason. They were looking for something to actually voice their opinion. So, I don't think the I don't think the protest is going to slow down. This is a, well, it's been three weeks, Massa, hasn't it?
2: I can recall yes, from we are in years, its third week now. Yes, yes. no, it's um, never been this long.
1: No, it's never been this long, and it's never had so much international support. Putting New Zealand aside, around the whole world, you know, in Toronto we had close to sixty thousand people mm-hmm. attending the rally. I don't think I've ever seen something like that before.
2: And that's, oh, it, the, that's a shame about that. Sorry, Simon, that, um, you know, on the 1st of October, there were rallies in over 80 cities across the globe, um, sorry, 80 countries, 150 cities. Yes. And this was, this was the first time in our history that in 150 cities, people are rallying for one country. It's, this is unprecedented, yet we don't see much representation of that in the media, social media going nuts. We hear about it. We had an Iranian actress based in the U.S. who was running Ellen DeGeneres's, um, um Instagram for a day, reporting on this, yet here in New Zealand there, was, there were demonstrations in Dunedin, Christchurch, Auckland and Wellington. There was one small article in the stuff about it and that's it. So I think with the governments, the UN and the media for some reason are not reporting on the significance of what's going on both inside of Iran and outside but the people are, the celebrities are. So we're seeing that sort of support. We've had over 200 million tweets um, with hashtag Masa Amini. This is the most number of tweets about you know, about anything in the, in Twitter's history, yet nobody's reporting about that. So there is a disconnect for whatever reason, or maybe it is that people think this is Middle East. Of course, people get oppressed in the Middle East. So what's the big deal? The big deal is this is not going to stop. This is not about just hijab. This is about a country full of young people with no future. I've got friends in Iran who have got 20-year-olds. My friend said, I told my son, please don't go. If you die, I'm going to kill myself. And Mm -hmm. he said, what's the option, mom? I either go out there and fight for the future or I am buried alive in this country. Mm -hmm. There is no future for me. I don't get to choose what I wear. And that's a boy. That's her son. The Mm -hmm. men have got behind women. The reality is the women have had enough. They are leading this movement. Absolutely. This is woman led. And there is no one leader. Every woman is a leader. Every woman is sick of this. So there is girls from 14, 15 year olds up to women taking off their hijab and they're they're completely, you know, grey haired. And they're they're saying, No, this is not okay. And then we see yeah. the men are following, they're supporting, they're fighting for women because they can see that the, unless the woman's right gets addressed in Iran, there is no human rights for anybody.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And Simon, to add to that, if I was in Iran, if Masa was in Iran, I can tell you our parents would probably have not let us go out in the street for that very reason. My parents, they never knew what I was doing because I used to always kind of do it very secretively and they just had to get involved when, when I needed their help. But my mother specifically was against protests or being politically active because my aunt was executed when the revolution happened as a 26 year old psychologist and she was given six months when she was in prison to change her beliefs and my father who was a lieutenant at the time went and saw her on numerous occasions begging her just do it for formality so you can get out she said no And she was one of the 5,000 prisoners who they executed within seven days. They got shot. And you can imagine my parents' fear in terms of their own children becoming so political because they know the end result is either being arrested, being beaten, or being killed. And they think, well, nothing is going to change. Why should we do that? But that's not the attitude of the current generation by the sound of it.
0: No, well, I again for the information that I'm seeing. I mean, the the incredible bravery of people, and and both of you have touched on how how young a lot of these people are. Although watching some elements of footage, I'm struck again by the it's say, like woman led, uh, women initiated, but the wide uh, wide range of Iranians now getting uh, involved. And I think if we could a few themes to tease out here. I mean, the first, in no particular order, is ultimately this regime was as you say part of a revolution and has brought about incredibly draconian um authoritarian rule uh, mm. for many very oppressive and i think both of you touched on the point that yep this is about the hijab or that's been the if you will the lightning rod but this is and again career if i'm wrong if i've heard it wrongly but this this is much more than simply an item of clothing this is about the just the basic human freedoms which have been denied to Persians, to Iranians for many, or was it 40 years, did you say now? 40 years.
1: 43. Yeah. 40, 43 years. Simon, they're not asking, you know, to go out naked in a bikini. They're asking not to wear a hair scarf. They should not be beaten to death or shot in the face just because they're asking not to wear hair scarf. It doesn't make any sense from anyone's point of view. And we live in a 21st century.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's been one of the debates, certainly in the West, um, Western liberals often, uh, around the place of the hijab. And it, I think you've nailed something really important there. People are welcome to wear whatever items of clothing they want um, for whatever reasons they want, religious or otherwise. But what we have here is an absolute oppressive tool. There is no choice. And I think at times, and sorry, I'm semi-political, but yeah, the the Western liberals seem to misinterpret it at times and celebrate it. Oh no, it's cultural. It's like, it's enforced. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There is no culture. This is not cultural. This is done under oppression. This is done because they have to do it. There is no cultural aspect to it whatsoever. I didn't want to wear a chador for four years, but I had to, So this has nothing to do with culture. And I don't know why would people even think that way. And that's unfortunately the wrong impression people have, saying this is the culture we need to leave it alone.
0: Well, again, correct me if you're wrong, you are from Iran. That's your heritage. But it it hasn't been a big part of the Persian culture. It's much more of the Arab culture. I mean, I think of pre-revolutionary Iran. a very different land, a very different. God, your culture goes back thousands and thousands of years. I mean, how to sum it up quickly is difficult, but it isn't part traditionally of Persian culture, is it?
1: No, I wouldn't even call it an Arab culture. Masa might disagree with me because when we go to Dubai, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, you know, we don't have to wear hijab when we're there. We can choose to wear it, but we don't have to. I would say it's part of the Mullah's culture. It's the culture they have created. To oppress women. Yeah, to oppress women. For a while in Iran, I don't know whether Massa was there or not, because I came here only 11 years ago. For a while in Iran, we weren't allowed to wear long boots. You know, here they wear leggings, women with long boots. We weren't allowed to do that. And the question was asked why, and the answer was because it turns, it's apparently, it's a turn-on for men. And I found it incredibly insulting.
0: Well, they call it is that gaslighting, really, where all of a sudden the choices of yeah, the, people's own problems get projected onto to others. So, a question on on that: I mean, who are these morality police? Is this a legitimate police force? Is it informal? Who is who are these people?
2: Masa, do you want to start with that? Because it, it, it is an organization that is established and funded by the Iranian regime, so it is government funded, and their job to guide people into uh, following um, Islamic rules, but the one they focus on is Iran, uh, is covering for women. And then there is another group called the Basij, which is the people mostly you see on the streets of Iran these days, uh, plain clothes, um, but with access to all sorts of you know guns and batons and everything, and they're beating people up. So the morality police was set up um, probably around the time that the war was going on between Iran and Iraq, and their job has been to basically stop women on the streets and telling them to cover up properly. Um, And over time, it has gotten more violent because women have pushed back. Um, As Sammy um, mentioned, our generation, we are the children of war, and we were a bit too scared to say anything. To see... These girls burning their headscarves in the middle of the street is unfathomable to me. It's the first. They guy. are they are so brave because mm. you could get arrested, raped, killed, as they've done. See, th- over the last three weeks, the, for, to prove that this regime has not killed Nasarwini, they've killed another 156 people. That's I'm the like- Amnesty um, International's number. I think the real number will be higher than that, but it's so hard to verify and they have arrested thousands of people. They've beaten up thousands of people. So, you know, and the reason people are not going home, they're not going back Simon is that they've got cameras all over the place. They've got people taking photos of the demonstrators. So these guys know if they go home, they're going to be hearing knocks on the door and they're going to get arrested and prosecuted and God knows what will happen to them. So there is no going back from this point. Mm. That's part of the problem is that it's not like, okay, well you said your piece, now you go home. No, you go home, you get arrested and we saw what happened in 2019 and how they killed 1500 people in four days and they did the blackout of the internet, just like they've done this round. So, you know, they've blacked out the internet. There's some internet access, some early hours of the morning at the moment. And that's where some of these footage are getting out. But some of them are three, four days old. So we're not really hearing what's happening on the ground. And to compare this to what was happening when Taliban was taking over Afghanistan and the coverage and the media. And it was, you know, minute by minute we were getting updates. It's incredible how how shut out Iran is compared to, to that. And it's a worry for us because I go days without being able to connect with people, with my loved ones in Iran and knowing, are they alive? Are they okay? You know, I think all around the world, Iranians are heartbroken. They're angry. They are scared. There's just so much going on for all of us trying to figure out what's the way forward.
1: But Simon, you know what? (laughs) You know the irony that these mullahs or people in Iran who are enforcing hijab on people in Iran, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I will send you videos and I will post it on my Facebook page and LinkedIn of, to give you examples, the grandchildren of the previous Supreme Reader Khomeini. So this is the guy who came out and said hijab is compulsory. You don't wear it, you will get beaten to death and you will be arrested. And yet his grandchildren... His own grandchildren, or some of his children, in London, they walk around without any hijab, sleeveless tops, shorter skirts. And for someone like Masa Amini, who was wearing everything she should have been wearing, but she was showing a fringe, she had to be beaten to death.
0: Oh, It's one of the things I've found following... um tyrants and authoritarian regimes over the years they're hypocrites um yeah. what they impose on the populace uh, is not often what they impose on themselves or their families i did want to pick up on one point though obviously we've had Massa uh, masa amini killed um but you've intimated well not only but we know hundreds of others as well there's some very disturbing footage uh coming out of people being corralled and, and shot at very very brutal i mean one of, one of my concerns and we should talk about the international and New Zealand reaction or lack of it, is that not only do I feel we need to be protesting and pushing back robustly right now, but the rest of the world also needs to be sending a really clear signal to the Iranian authorities that further escalating violence uh, is completely wrong, completely unacceptable, and will be met um, strongly by the international community. Because I quite genuinely worry what the Ayatollahs, Mullahs and others will do to try and stamp this out, and we need to make them realise what the cost internationally um, is. So, are we seeing as you said, these protests are going wide throughout Iran, but are we also seeing quite a strong pushback by the authorities?
1: We're seeing quite a big pushback by the authorities in Iran. Of course, they are. Uh, they're just brutal. They've gone uh, shooting people, pepper spraying them, using water cannons anything you can think of the doing in order to stop people but what we need to see simon is more support from international communities and it doesn't matter whether you live in a small country like new zealand or like united states every voice counts if you ask us especially in new zealand because we have a female-led government that's more important in my view than any other countries at the moment because They need to come out. They need to condemn this very, very harshly. They need to talk about it on a daily basis. They can't ask the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to to get the ambassador to go and explain himself. The prime minister should ask the ambassador to go in so she can speak to him. So she can come out and say, as a female prime minister, I am condemning this this shouldn't be happening, this is a huge violation of human rights, I have met with the ambassador, and then follow up on the ambassador. And if the worst come to the worst, I would say kick out the ambassador. Why do we need a representative from Iran, from the regime, here in New Zealand?
0: Oh, look, I tend to agree. I'm, with my foreign affairs interests uh, in mind, I'm surprised, actually, that we don't do that more often. And they're two different situations, guys, but we haven't even kicked out the Russian ambassador. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. honestly, um, again, it's it's not just sending, again, I'm the layman compared to you, but it's not simply us sending a message about what's happening now. It's sending a very clear message to the Iranian authorities that we are taking this deadly seriously, to get if they even choose to, to escalate it. But let's draw that out a little bit. I mean, I, I've been surprised in some ways, Um, and only in some ways, it it rather mute responses. Um, Across New Zealand, um, I I don't think actually New Zealand media or the parliament as a whole uh, has spoken out as strongly. I've certainly seen it. Canada is another example. The government there is very, very quiet. Um, Why is this? There does seem to be in some areas a silence or a very low volume when you'd expect people to be saying, this is wrong, this is a human rights battle we need to be speaking to why is, I, think gotten,
1: I think they've gotten a little bit more in Canada, to be fair to them, and they have spoken about it in uh, the House. They have questioned the Prime Minister on a variety of uh, subjects, which he kind of tried to very carefully uh, not to answer the questions. And But that yet has not happened in New Zealand. Nobody has yet spoken about the issue in the House including the iranian and green mp which is to my surprise she should have been if i was in parliament as an iranian person irrespective of which party i was part of i would not have let this issue to be silenced i would have talked about it every single hour i would have made sure every single mp irrespective of which political party they are they're talking about it and get the words out so that yet hasn't happened in new zealand and In Australia, as far as I'm aware, and watched a few uh, videos, the MPs, they have talked about it. They actually rose in the house and they spoke on the issue. In Sweden, one of the MPs talked about it and she cut her hair. And these are the things we need to see. A lot of people say this is just symbolic. But my answer to that is, of course, it's symbolic. But symbols do matter. When it comes to talking about a country which is shutting them off from the rest of the world, they just tell lies. So if you ask them a question, you will never get a straight answer, Simon, from Iranian Iranian officials. That's why it's important for us here to keep the voice going. And no matter what, but first, I'm pretty sure me and Masa will keep going on. We will not stop. And I know a lot of other people in the community will have the same views. Masa, you can add whatever you want to add. Now we can't hear you, Massa.
0: We've lost Massa for a moment. So um, as she sorts out her sound. No. While she sorts it, I'll just add a, a quick few uh, thoughts. I mean, fundamentally, this draws us right back to what's happening. This is a, a, a cry from the Iranian people. Uh, led by women, but for the whole country for freedom, to restore some basic, fundamental uh, human rights. And it's what confuses me again about what's the... And thanks for the pushback on some other countries, but the relative silence, including here in New Zealand, because, look, we make a big thing... And by the way, for listeners, to be clear, this is not me trying to play partisan left-right politics. You can put it right across the spectrum. But um, fundamentally... Um, New Zealand always puts itself forward as a great bastion of human rights, and yet we don't seem to be speaking strongly into this. And you touched on, I think, a really important point, and with all my respect for the PM, she is a woman. What a powerful voice. She's so well-respected on the world stage. I I, I don't know. If she's listening, if Jacinda Ardern is listening to my podcast, I think it would be wonderful um, if she used her voice to speak for those people of Iran who want freedom. They want freedom,
1: yeah, and that's 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 the only thing they want. And I would like Iran to be considered <laughs> in the same category as other countries. They did quite a lot when Taliban came back and forth in Afghanistan. Okay, and my heart goes out to all those Afghani women. But we tried to help them, even in the legal community, Simon. We did everything we could by bringing. Afghani judges to New Zealand by donating to the campaign back in Afghanistan. So we did everything we could to help them. And yet I have not seen that assistance when it comes to Iranian people. And we have so many Iranian lawyers. They are the ones who actually fight for human rights. They're Iranian activists who are rotting in jail. And yet we haven't heard from New Zealand government if there will be any special categories for those people to come here from Iran. Mm-hmm. And why do we still? Why does immigration still give visas to people who are coming here to study with government's money in Iran? Mm-hmm. These are the people who should not be here when they're more worthy people from Iran who should be here.
0: I think some really good points there. We'll see if... Masa uh, is back on... Oh, yeah, we can hear you. Welcome back.
2: Thank you. Um, I was just um, thinking about going back to your question about um, why has there not been much um, coverage by or um, conversations in the government? It's really hard to speculate. There's lots of um, conversations within the Iranian communities across the world about that. Is this about oil? Is this about gas? Is this about the fact that, the Iranian regime has managed to infiltrate pretty much in every other nation to get in their people within universities, media, and all sorts of places? Or is it that the the West thinks this will get um, squashed, that the regime will come out, they will push back and will send people home and kill a few, and this will stop? And I think the bravery of Iranian people has caught um, the world by surprise. I don't think anybody expected this to carry on for as long as it has, um, given the brutality and the violence that is happening on the streets of Iran. Um, a lot of the footage we're getting is from the big cities, but there's lots going on in smaller cities and in some states where the minority Iranians live, for example, the Sunni Iranians in the Baluchistan, which is one of the southern states, massacre going on there these are people that have been held back for the four decades of the islamic republic because they um they're different minorities in iran have always been held back and iranians were told for many many years that the regime is what is keeping iran safe because if the this regime wasn't there the kurdish people would want to be separating and they would you know, come and take over different parts and Turkish people will do the same. These are the Iran Iran has got 13 different races. And what we see is this Kurdish girl has got killed and the whole Iran has rallied behind her. The first place that went off after Kurdistan of Iran was the Turkish states. They got behind the Kurdish. And we've been told for so long that we are separate and we have to be afraid of each other. And what's happening is Iranian people are realizing that there is one enemy and there is a common enemy, and that's the Islamic Republic. And the Islamic Republic is not of Iran. It needs to leave Iran. It's taken over. It's occupying this country and is killing its people and has no care for uh, Iran's conservation, for its future, for its people. It is a money-hungry, bloodthirsty government that is basically committing crimes against humanity on a daily basis. And it will be great to see the justice be served for Iranian people, to, to, for them to be heard. They're not asking for a lot. They're not asking for Western intervention. They're asking for their voice to be heard. They're asking, all, that's why us Iranians overseas are working tirelessly to be the voice for the voiceless because these guys are getting killed. They're getting tortured. And they and they are living in a country that there is no free media, there is no foreign media, unless it's connected to the regime. So we need to speak up.
0: Oh, and look, the layman that I am compared to yourselves, that I don't have a you know family or direct links into Iran. I think you are incredibly courageous. I think you are giving a really important voice, and you're stressing something important as well that controls. That any autocratic regime has in place and that's what the theocracy of iran is it's autocratic they're trying to block the internet they're trying to stop the information coming out and acting incredibly brutally starting uh with masa but then hundreds maybe even thousands now hard to know so you know just to wrap up because you know we're all well you guys are incredibly busy advocating i know you've been organizing uh some rallies and um Sammy, you touched on some really good ideas, which I'll be taking back to the parliament, which is how do we open visa, or if if not even refugee categories for people from Iran? How do we begin to look at who we are giving them to? Why why would we be giving visas uh, to family members, for example, of Iranian officials at this time? But I know you guys are organizing and have been organizing uh, rallies. Talk us through that or anything else that you would like New Zealanders to, to be aware of and doing.
1: We would really like New Zealanders actually do join us this Sunday. We do have a big rally at the starts in Mission Bay, and I have posted it on my Facebook page and in our local community, and I'm really grateful to the admin who let me do that. So, Amasa, can you elaborate on what?
2: Yes, um, there, there is actually an um, arts show by Iranian women um, in Mission Bay from 2 to 3 p.m. where they will be showcasing Persian art. Um, and then from 3.30 p.m., we will be forming a human chain in support of the Iranian fighters in Iran. So it will start from Mission Bay and move towards St. Um And we will do that for about an hour, and then there will be um, some speeches about what's going on in Iran. We, I have got plenty of Kiwis joining us, and I hope that we can have more... Um, because this is what Iranian people need to see. They need to see the support overseas because that that will fuel their um, fight and that we care that Iran is not this isolated country that continues to lose lives and the rest of the world just goes by, you know, gets on with their business. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this is this Sunday Simon and Simon I really need to acknowledge a few people including you yourself for being our voice so far and being so proactive in terms of supporting us and we're very grateful you are coming on Sunday. I know you politicians you always have things uh, arranged way in advance but you immediately said yes in such short notice when uh, when we approached you I am grateful to Mark Mitchell, to Chris Pink for being the voice and uh, keeping the conversation going. Very grateful to David Seymour for doing that press release. And this is, as you said, this is not about right or left or centre. This is about everyone. This is about humanity. This is about human rights. And that there's no categories of right and left when it comes to human rights. So the voice of opposition is as important as the government and we are going to keep pushing for that, Simon, for sure. So you will hear more and more from the Iranian community. But we are very grateful for the help we have received so far from all of you.
0: Well, I think that's a great encouragement for all Kiwis and certainly all politicians, but for all Kiwis to, to get involved, show their solidarity. So the rally uh, that Masar and, and Sami are referring to is at Sunday the 9th, because some people will be listening to this podcast at different times. So... This Sunday is the, the 9th of October, yes. so from 2 o'clock onward with the main part of the rally at 30. and that's Mission Bay uh, in Auckland. Uh, let's hope it's a nice day, um, uh, but look, come, rega- well, you guys will be there, but to those listening, if you are local in Auckland, uh, please come show your solidarity, uh, show your support with our, our Persian and Iranian community here. Uh, Masa, Sami, are there any last thoughts you'd like to share with listeners?
1: Well, I think we've said everything we needed to say. And people do ask me, Simon, here, since I've been in New Zealand, I have fought for a lot of, I have lobbied against a lot of legislations in New Zealand who would have taken away some of our rights and freedom. And people do ask me often, why do you do that? Why do you bother? You know, it's uh, it's a lot of time to spend. But I am coming from a country with no rule of law. And I know the importance of rule of law. And in my view, as an Iranian who moved to New Zealand as a skilled migrant, I don't believe there is any difference as to race or where you're from when it comes to rule of law. So whether I have to fight to keep the rule of law for Kiwis or for Iranians, for Americans, it doesn't matter. We will keep fighting and we will keep fighting for that. So I am asking from Kiwis to come and help us and support us because my people in Iran will see this, will watch this, and they will get some more encouragement that we're not forgotten, we're not dying for nothing. And that's, that's my message. That's the, that's the most important message from my point of view.
2: And I think for the Iranians that, that uh, come to these rallies, for a lot of us, we will not be able to return to Iran. I will not be able to return to Iran now. Um, I have been able to. I came here in 2004 as an international student, and I've stayed and uh, built my family here but I will not be able to take my children to see their heritage until the Islamic Republic leaves because of all of these activities I'm doing. And prior to this, I was not a political activist or a social activist in any shape or form, but I can't watch people dying for nothing but to show a bit of hair that, that I just can't keep quiet. And that's why the Iranian movement is happening in New Zealand so strongly. And, check in. If you have Iranian friends, family, colleagues, or you know them, check in on them. They will mm. be struggling. They are having a hard time and your show of solidarity will go a long way. As you said, Kiwis have always stood up and and stood for human rights. And this is a big violation of human rights, children's rights now with high school students on the streets getting beaten up as well. So we really need to speak up and make sure that the Islamic Republic understands that the international community is not going to stand by and just watch this.
0: Well, a big thank you to you both. Um, please don't underestimate what I think is the great courage, bravery that you both are bringing and representing the wider Iranian New Zealand community. And you mentioned it earlier, the voice to often the voiceless behind the, the walls of the regime. And look, for all the advocacy, you're continuing to thank you Look forward to joining you guys on uh, Sunday. And thank you too for everything you bring to New Zealand. I think our country is so much richer. You've you've often referenced um, the shorter period of time you've been here, but boy, what a contribution already, and it makes our country uh, so, so much better. But look, thank you for being here on this podcast. Thank you for bringing your voice, and let's hope amplifying the voice of Iranian and Persian people in New Zealand throughout the world so we can see the end of this oppression this authoritarianism, this brutality, uh, which is unfortunately holding Iran back. So thank you both.
1: Thank you very much, Simon, for you and for your efforts. We're grateful. Thank you.